Let's put that genie back in the bottle. Paint with the colors of the wind, bitch. It's time for two finger point. Power daddy. Our shoes are in the pond. Extra magic hours, which we in turn called extra tragic hours. People call him the naked bull rat. Did you really just two finger point? Here are your hosts, Amber and Kylie. Everybody, welcome back to Two Finger Point. I'm Kylie. I'm Amber. And we have a special episode today. We are talking about the history of the Disney Company, starting from its origin up till now. Um, so Amber is gonna start off with the conception of the Walt Disney Company. All right, guys. So so um, Disney actually didn't start with the two brothers. It actually started with Walt Disney himself, who had previously attempted to open a film studio and named it Laugh-O-Gram Studios. Um, and it was with his animator friend. Oh, gosh, I hope I don't botch this too bad. Um, <laughs> Oob Iwerks. Does that sound right? I have no idea. I, I couldn't even guess what language that originated from. Yeah. So, so your guess is as good as mine. Um, so, uh, it's, it's spelled U-B, um, and then I-W-E-R-K-S. So, um, they opened up the studio together, Lapogram, um, and they created a short film titer, titled Alice in Wonderland, which depicted a, like a, like a child actor who was interacting with animated characters. Um, the studio itself ended up going bankrupt. But um, the film was a success, and one, a, a New York film distributor named Margaret J. Winkler purchased it. And side note, this is important. Her and her husband come up later, so this is important. Um, and another side note, just because I love a good tangent every now and then, um, <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that Walt was one of the first people to create like a like a film with the Alice in Wonderland story. Um, I, or was and- he? I didn't know that either, but I also didn't realize that there was an Alice in Wonderland story before the cartoon we know. Well, so I didn't at first either. And something sparked me to Google it just to make sure. And it's, it's based on a book that was published in 1865. I knew of the book. I just didn't know they made a cartoon. Like there's an OG cartoon out there, not just the one we know of with you know, I'm sure the characters are all the same, so if I say them, but yeah, but what was it made in the 50s? I think <laughs> I, you know what I'm talking about, something like that. I think, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, but yeah, no, so this was interesting too because I, I didn't know that he had done this previously either because they end up making a animated iteration later on down the line, so it's interesting that he had actually made one previously to this, yeah, um, kind of like uh. Was Disney Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? That had like yeah. animated stuff in it, like the with the, you know, main actors yeah. with the like birds and stuff around. So mm-hmm. kind of similar type of style, I would assume. Um, but after after this film studio went bankrupt and kind of failed, Walt decides to move to Hollywood, LA, um, to come join his brother in 19. 19- so this was actually this was no, this was before uh, this was in the 20s when he was in the Lafogram, because in 1923 is when he moved to uh Hollywood. So this was this was way even further. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Roy had tuberculosis, which I I didn't know. Um, so he came to come join him uh, because he was sick. Um, they ended up founding the Walt Disney Company officially on October sixteenth, nineteen twenty three, um, by Walt and Roy Disney, and they originally originally called this Walt uh, Disney Brothers Studios. Literally, um, like a week ago. From when we're recording this, oh yeah, you're right. Ago. So this is a hundred years and a week ago. Oh my god, what a wow! That's so crazy. <laughs> um, what a what a crazy concept. But yeah, um, so it started as Disney Brothers Studios, which how cute, by the way, we love that. <laughs> um, and then previously has also operated under names of Walt Disney Studios and Walt Disney Productions before officially changing its name to Walt Disney Companies in 1986. Kind of just to encompass everything, you know, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and after creating their, you know, 
what the Walt Disney companies in 1923, they had one of their first animated characters, which we kind of all know now because he's kind of come back and made a comeback in the last few years. Um, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And um, he was actually not Disney property. He was universal intellectual property. Among some things that kind of ended up happening, Walt ends up losing the rights to him, uh, which is kind of why we ended up with Mickey Mouse um, later on down the line. And also, by the way, <laughs> before he was Mickey Mouse, he was Mortimer Mouse, which just like low-key, ew. But I get it because it's like the 1920s. So like Mortimer is probably like a popular name. Yeah, I remember seeing, was it House of Mouse? Maybe I saw like a short cartoon where mm -hmm. Minnie's singing a little song and she's like, Mortimer, Mortimer, Mortimer Mouse. Oh my God. And <laughs> I've never seen this. Probably like the 2000s or so. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I just remember watching that as a kid. Huh. That doesn't roll off the tongue. So I can see why <laughs> they obviously changed it. Um, yeah, just. Ugh, I don't like that. For me, I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so all of the the reason why he lost the intellectual property of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was all to come back to uh, Margaret, Margaret Winkler, the girl who bought the... the woman who bought the rights to um, Alice in Wonderland. So yeah. she actually had a husband named Charles, Charles Mintz, and he started to take on the role of distributing films for her because she was a, fi a film distributor before oh. and basically disney kind of came in and wanted a larger fee for what they were doing like the films they were creating and stuff and mince basically said no like we're not going to give that to you um and then he even went further to threaten disney and basically say like they're gonna like create we're gonna create films with the oswald rabbit like you know without you we don't care like if you don't take this pay cut and disney declined obviously as we know and Mintz basically poaches some of his, like, animators, some of the primary animators of Disney, like, Brothers Studio at this time. And then starts his own studio, Winkler Studios. And that's kind of, like, the end of Oswald and the beginning of Mickey slash Mortimer Mouse. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, some tea, like, right in the beginning, right? It's like, we're, we haven't even barely gotten into the whole Disney stuff, and we're already having, like, some duke outs with some other animators and uh, film yeah, distributors like right from the get-go <laughs> so <laughs> it, so in 1928 mickey mouse is featured in the animated short film steamboat willie and this cartoon made history because it was the first ever post-produced cartoon um, so it was synchronized with sound is basically what that means um, of course, Mickey is still the mascot of Disney today, and the, they also went on to release their first feature film in 1932, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which we all know and love. With the continued success of animations by the 1940s, the Disney company expanded into live-action films, television, and even theme parks by the 1950s. Now, Walt was very much into the concept of tomorrow and developing future technology, which we can still see in the parks today. And when Disneyland was in its conceptual phase, Roy was actually pretty doubtful in the park, which is kind of surprising to hear. Yeah. Um, but this led Walt to actually open up a new company, and he called this Walt Disney Enterprises. Um, and today we know this actual company, it still exists, but it's called Disney Imagineering. Mm, interesting. So that was actually Walt's first side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was his way of being able to do stuff without Roy's approval, since they were mm -hmm. partners in the Walt Disney productions or studios, whatever it is at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so in 1955, Disneyland opened on 160 acres in the land that is, they took land in Anaheim, California. Um, the initial cost to this um, was $17 million, which in today's money is over $195 million. Lots of money. 
Um, so Walt obviously was living in Los Angeles and his vision was to have this park somewhere near there, which is where Anaheim played a role. And his vision was to educate and entertain both children and adults at the same time, which mission accomplished. Um, so we at this point, we have attractions like Mr. Toad's Wild Rides, Snow White's Adventures, and Jungle Cruise, which are all still there today. And they were family favorites, and a lot of people were enjoying the parks from the get-go. In 1964, Roy convinces Walt to sell Walt Disney Enterprises. And at that moment, it was called WED or WED. Um, and I, it never explicitly said this in my research, but I assume that stands for Walt Eli Elias or Elias Disney, which was his full name. Mm -hmm. um, so it was called Wed Productions. And so Roy was convincing him to sell that to Walt Disney Productions with the fear that Walt having his own business would lead into legality issues since they worked so closely together. Mm. So Walt does this, um, but then he opens up another company called Retlaw, and he uses this to manage mostly the personnel matters for mm. both the monorail and the Disneyland Railroad. And to me, this shows he really cared about each little detail if he's opening up different companies for different aspects of one park, mm -hmm. right? Um, so after the after the success of Disneyland, the brothers begin to expand their minds and start thinking of another park to create. Um, they definitely wanted this one to be different. Um, Walt wanted much more land and to have multiple parks. And he also wanted it to be where you could not see another park from any other point in the area. So they broke land into Orlando, Florida to do this in 1965. However, unfortunately, the following year, Walt Disney passes away from lung cancer. It's so sad. It really is. <laughs> um, but, however, the show must go on, and in... 1971, Walt Disney World was completed and opened, um, living out Walt's dream. This world featured uh, what was known as the Magic Kingdom, and it was basically, it's an expanded version of Disneyland. Um, and at the front, Disneyland statue um, features Walt with Mickey. He's shaking his hand, if I can remember correctly, right? Um, I believe they're just holding hands, and I want to say he's pointing, and they're, like, looking oh. together. Okay. I think that's your, I think you're right, because that's the two-finger point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so Walt Disney World, the counter statue exists at the front park with Roy and Minnie. Oh, that's cute. I guess I never noticed that, but I love that they have that uh, dynamic. Yeah. Um. And two months after opening the park, Roy passes away from a cerebral hemorrhage, which is really sad um, because it seems like these parks were either their final missions in life or a curse. Um, I want to believe the happiness. I want to believe that it was their life mission, you know, because it seemed like it was really something that they were passionate about, you know? Yeah, I, I so. think so, too. Like, they, although we could have gotten a lot more magic from them, they they set the ground for it and transitioned. I think that's kind of, you know, I think that's almost why the conspiracy lives on that. Like they, that they're like frozen underneath the parks because mm -hmm. they really put their whole body and soul into like yeah. opening these parks. So like you really feel it. And that's kind of what really expanded Disney to be as successful as it's been in my opinion. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, <laughs> Um, but moving forward, unfortunately, I mean, the show must go on, as I said, so new leadership um, takes place and then our senior executive and former president, Don Tatum, take over the company as CEO and chairman of the board. Um, the president was now Card Walker, who had been with Disney since 1938. Ooh. 
That's a long time. Because uh, we we're in the jobs that long these days. No, which is probably why the boomers and everyone think that we're so lazy because like we won't hold out for a company. Like I'm sure Disney was a great company to work for, but a lot of these companies nowadays aren't. And you're not going to catch people sticking around. But also the boomers won't retire. So we don't get the opportunities they do for staying so long or that they Correct. have. But they bitch about us. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this is when Disney starts becoming more profitable. So in 1973, the company rank, raked in a gross revenue of over $257 million, which, wow, that's a lot for that time. <laughs> um, which was over 50 million more than the previous year. So we're we're growing year over year at this point now. Um, and in 1976, Card Walker officially becomes CEO of the company and then chairman in 1980. Um, oh, actually, you know what? This is a fun fact that I learned while I was doing research, but I'm sure this is a fun fact for everyone that um Roy had a son that he also named Roy. Father was Roy O, and then we had Roy E, the son. Um, so I don't know if you ever watched Vault Disney at night. It was like the it was like Nick at night, but on Disney Channel, and like all the black and white shows would come on. I saw uh, some of them. Okay, so Roy E Disney was actually on there quite a bit. Okay, okay. Okay, that's a good comparison in my head, too. <laughs> it was just the, the O and the E, because it's like, it's such a small, fine detail that when you're doing research with, like, articles, you're like, wait, who am I talking about again? So. Yeah, it gets very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people do that? Name your sons different names. <laughs> Let go of the ego. I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, so in 1977, though, um, he walked away. Uh, 1977, I remember Roy E. walks away from the company due to his stance on the decisions being made. He, like, he knew kind of what his father and uncle envisioned for the company. So, you know, it was kind of like people should have been listening to what he was saying in his stance on things. Um, so rightfully so, he walked away. Um, and quotes from him said, I just felt creatively the company was not going anywhere interesting. It was very stifling. While leaving, um, he kept his seat on the board of directors until 1984, though, um, he resigned due to the corporation feel taking over the company. So it's just that feeling of like losing that family kind of aspect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, companies have to grow, but I can see where his standpoint of things were because as a company grows, think sometimes things that the companies have to do don't necessarily fit with like the morals or the things that you feel like should be going on. Right. I, I've dealt with this situation with the company. I really enjoyed working for it, but I had to walk away because- they were moving like in a, a different direction and they ended up doing major layoffs like two weeks after I left. Um, but I just, I'm like, why did you have to change? I would still be there today if you didn't change. Right. Yeah. Sometimes the special sauce is just not there and you, you know, like the company has to make a hard choice. So right. unfortunately that was the choice they made. And, um, so moving forward in 1978, Ron Miller now becomes the president of the company. Um, he was married to Walt's daughter, Diane. So he was Walt Disney's son-in-law. So we're still keeping it in the family here, at least, or somewhat, you know, mm -hmm. I guess, well, I guess you consider that family, right? That's just extended yeah. family. Um, and he worked for Disney. Wow. So he'd been working them for, for them for a while. Wow. Um, since 1954. And so, um, he was a liaison between the Disney company and WED. Um, Walt Disney's other company that later on became Imagineering. And Roy wasn't the only one to end up bidding adieu to the company. 12 animators, which at the time was over 15% of the company's animators, left the Disney company as well. Um, and this was a movement led by animator Don Bluth, who went on with these men to create his own company, Don Bluth Productions. They said they left due to the training and the workplace environment. We can relate to that one. <laughs> um, if you're wondering if it was worth it, though, I'll just say this. They went on to create the Land Before Time movies. So, yeah, it was probably worth it. But in Crazy. 1981, the animated film The Fox and the Hound was released, being the first animated film without Walt involved. 
And this was also the last film to be worked on by what is known as Disney's Nine Old Men. And they were animators and ended up getting replaced with younger animators. So while we Hmm. feel like the magic started losing in our century, it kind of originated right right about now in the, the 80s. That makes sense. That's kind of like right before our time, right? So they were kind of already feeling that. And as we were kind of coming into like the Disney, like learning things, it was like we were feeling that same thing kind of as we grew with them. Right. In 1983, Disneyland Tokyo was opened and Disney also created Touchstone Pictures to make entertainment for more mature audiences So this would be films like Adventures in Babysitting, Splash, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which explains why we have the ride in Two Town. I always wondered how that worked. Yeah, same. I was always (laughs) like, I never, I never got the, or I never, I guess I never looked into the correlation, but I was like, it does make sense here. So I'm like, okay, no questions asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A touchstone stockholder by the name of Saul Steinberg Steinberg actually offered to buy 49% of the stocks in Touchstone, which would be adding to his existing 11.1%. So he was wanting to buy this for $1.3 billion, with a B, or the entire company for $2.75 billion. And this is just Touchstone, not Disney. So Disney being led by Ron Miller, well, son-in-law, just so we can keep track of who's in charge here. It's hard to keep track. Um, So he rejects this offer, (laughs) which is crazy because at the time, Touchstone had less than $10 million. So being offered billions when you have a small amount of millions interesting to turn down yeah (laughs) they gave a counter offer to buy steinberg out for 325 million that they don't have so that makes sense he agrees to this steinberg agrees sure and now the overall disney umbrella company is an 866 million dollars in debt jesus so almost a billion dollars in debt at this point. Yeah, almost a billion dollars. And this is in the 80s. So Disney is what seems like a sinking ship at this time. And now it's time for the shareholders to take control. In 1984, Ron Miller is forced out of the company. I've seen different lists of who all was involved. Like one even included his wife, Diane. <laughs> Um, but the oh two names, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that's true because they never divorced. Um, when I went to look to fact check, I was like, oh, they had to have a divorce or something. I want the tea behind this, yeah. but actually he ended up re- retiring with her and they went and moved to, I believe Napa and had a vineyard with their children oh. and just enjoyed life. Oh. Um, so I don't think that's true. Um, But the two names that were consistent on the list were Roy E. Disney, her cousin, and Mm -hmm. investor Sid Bass. He he is forced out of the company. And in comes Michael Eisner, who Uh, was the CEO until 2005. He had a long stint. He was like one of the, like, I feel like after a lot of the Disney, like, family kind of stopped being CEO and president, it was... He was the first one that I remember having the longest stint as CEO for yeah. just decades. He definitely had some longevity. And this is the man who's responsible for the historic Disney Renaissance. Now, here's how it happened. So Eister brought on Frank Wells as the president and Jeffrey Katzenberg as chairman. And Roy E. Disney was brought on as the head of animation. So he's he's back in here now. And Michael Eisner demanded that there would be a new animated feature film every 18 months instead of every four years like they had been doing. Wow. So God bless this man for making that demand. 
because we have amazing movies like The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hercules, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. I'm sure there's more in there, but those are like the top ones from the early 90s. We all know and love. And so they were just busting these movies out because of this command he gave. (laughs) Um, So, and with Roy as the head of the department, you know, we're not only getting more of what we love, but we have a Disney on board, a member of the Disney family. Exactly. So in a way, Walt and Roy's original spirit of what Disney is supposed to be is involved in these movies. And I think that's why they did so well. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I was just going to say that too, because when you said that, I that was immediately like the first thought that I had. It was like, well, this is clearly why the D- Disney renaissance is so true to so many people. Like, I mean, of course us, because mm-hmm. we grew up with it, that's where we're always going to feel the most nostalgic. But I feel like even people older still feel the same way about that period so i mean beauty and the beast won grammys and oscars right (laughs) both so yeah i mean these are these were great films and then you know if you look at the soundtracks you've got elton john doing the lion king phil collins doing tarzan yeah these were big movies um so he also starts with touchstone getting that back in order um so they start producing more films and they even break out into television with touchstone tv which is how we get the popular sitcom the golden girls and there's also a call to start (laughs) making saturday morning cartoons so Eisner's really coming into this mess and cleaning it up and getting it back to what Disney was originally envisioned to be. And I remember those Saturday morning cartoons. We mm-hmm. had Recess. They bought out Doug. We had Pepper Ann, Fillmore. Great cartoons. Yeah, so shout out to Eisner because he definitely, and to Roy E. Disney for both of them kind of connecting and really giving us some good stuff. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, because as we know, Disney Renaissance was really good for film and TV around this time, but it was also good for park expansion. So, um, in 1989, Disney World gains Typhoon Lagoon and Disney MGM Studios, known today as Hollywood Studios. Um, Kylie's Park. My least (laughs) favorite park. (laughs) Um, So, they also acquired Jim Henson's company, with the exception of the Muppets from Sesame Street, which I find extremely interesting, right? Yeah. Um, have they kept I was, those? Yeah. I, I mean, I understand Sesame Street because it, it's on PBS. So I'm yeah. sure, you know, they want to protect that because many kids that didn't have cable, you know, got to watch PBS. And I mean, us with cable watch PBS too. It oh, slapped. let's be real. I remember um, Jim Henson not only had The Muppets, but Fraggle Rock was a show on Disney Channel, if you remember that one vaguely like you I remember it but I don't remember like anything about it yeah no worries (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so yeah so they so there was expansion here but also um Frank Wells is the president of the company at this time and he was actually killed in a helicopter crash in 1994 um so that's really sad that they had that tragedy around this time um at this point in time though we've got the trio or we had the trio of previously before the accident of michael eisner frank wells and jeffrey kratzenberg Mm -hmm. um and so they not only brought back the disney magic which we all you know feel we can attest to but they had also increased the net worth from 2 billion to 22 billion in the span of one decade that's insane so they increased it by 11 times yeah amazing and I mean, and this is again back in the eighties and early nineties, where like this kind of money is like outrageous. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that it's not outrageous now, but I mean, just think about the comparison of time and what like money looked like back then, right? Um, and so, like as the company goes, we would kind of expect that it would seem natural that Kratzenberg, the chairman, would would be uh, next in line for the role as president or CEO. Um, however, Roy E. Disney was not fond of him. So uh, he called Michael Eisner and he said, if you want to make him president, I will start a proxy fight. Cool. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> we love that everyone right i'm sure as like president or ceo like eisner was like not thrilled to get a conversation like that a phone call right, right. especially is it from a disney calling right mm-hmm. nobody wants that um so as eisner has stated previously he said that roy was kind of known to be a force and kind of a troublemaker in a sense um it's hard to say if we know if that's true could just be like butting of heads you know right as an oldest child like i will make the argument he could just be outspoken and have his own opinions and yeah this is his father and uncle's company and so it could come off this way right, right. he's very protective and then you it could be like an alpha thing too right because then you've got eisner who's like well no i'm kind of the reins of the company it's great that you're at disney so it, i can see where there'd be like a feud of yeah power. Um, and so basically what ends up happening is Kratzenberg ends up leaving because Eisner will not promote him to president. So I guess he makes the move that Disney wants him to. Um, and he ends up being a co-founder for a, just a tiny little itsy bitsy company, you know, well-known DreamWorks. Little baby, (laughs) right? Nothing. Never heard of it. Uh, (laughs) Um, and so then Michael Eisner ends up bringing his friend, Michael Ovitz to come and fill the new role as president. So at the time, basically now, after we've put Michael Ovitz into our president role, Disney is now shopping around to purchase a major television network. And they're kind of choosing between, do they want ABC, NBC, CBS? Um, Spoiler alert, it ends up being ABC. I don't know if you guys (laughs) already knew. Um, And also, in addition to that, ends up ESPN later on. Um, So little known, they also bought some stake in lifetime (laughs) (laughs) i never knew that that's interesting i would expect like hallmark i wouldn't have expected lifetime for some reason yeah i could see that too i i think of lifetime movies and it's really dark yeah it doesn't dark and cheesy (laughs) you're right um dic entertainment which i'm not deke okay what is deke i just remember having childhood um like videotapes and okay. like whatever oh yeah cartoon deke. and it would go like deke and it was like a little kid saying deke yes because you reminded me too when you said it and I was like why do I why do I know this and then for some reason I saw like the so yeah I don't know what deke entertainment did but I remember that um uh, and they both some... see oh yeah go ahead uh, Madeline which oh. that would explain why Madeline was on Playhouse Disney yeah uh back which speaking Oops. of, did you see the, did you ever watch the live action one that came out like way back in the day? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Such a good. Uh, looks like they did the Ernest movies. Mm. Uh, they've okay. done some Archie comics, cartoons, Sonic, Strawberry Shortcake, G.I. Uh, Joe. Oh, they did the Inspector Gadget cartoon. I believe that aired on Nickelodeon. I remember that. And the movies, too, the, that they had. That was Disney produced those, yeah. the ones with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Uh, oh, Sabrina, um, the animated series. Oh, I remember that. And then they did Hello Kitty, which that's probably what I remember most because I had some Hello Kitty VHS tapes. <laughs> okay, nice okay that makes sense um that that makes more sense and fits under the umbrella lifetime does not like no (laughs) um or a and e that they also have some they bought some stake in which i get i don't know i guess like with them getting with them buying abc you get kind of some mature shows and audience as well so i feel like maybe they were like okay maybe a little bit in a and e to get some of that adult audience and a and e was a little different back then um I remember my grandma watching it and it was shows oh. like Murder, She Wrote and Matlock, like things like that. Feeling like A&E was always like the older people channel when I was a yeah. kid. <laughs> Same. I never made my way over there, um, though I should have. Um, and so, and also then in 1996, they launched, launched Radio Disney. Hell oh my gosh. Yeah, throwback. <laughs> and Disney.com, which, oh my gosh. I remember that. I remember going to school and I think it was like Disney.go.com. Yeah, there was that. And then it converted into Zoog Disney. Do you remember that? 
Oh yeah. That was a little I bit I remember later. that. And that was where you could go into Lizzie's closet and dress yes. her. And do you remember like the nail painting <laughs> yep. too? The hair? Oh, the games were so good. Um, this, this was really like kind of this. Yeah. Thank you. Shout out to my, Michael Eisner for really launching us into like the best period of our childhood. Yeah, um, honestly, now that you're saying that, Michael Eisner is responsible for the Disney adult generation because we're all yeah. millennials and it's really everything under his reign that got us addicted to Disney. Totally. And this is even for those elder millennials. So shout out to you, Eric. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was so aggressive. Um <laughs> Um, but however, by 1996, with the launch of these, you know, two things, we did, however, lose Michael Ovitz. He was fired from Disney due to difference in management style, which seems to be a pattern kind of at this point. Yeah. Um, but then we're sliding into our Bob Iger era, part one. Um, (laughs) so this is the end of the Disney Renaissance concluding with Tarzan and Bob Iger, the network chief of ABC, was brought on as the president and COO of Disney in the year 2000. And yeah, so at this point, the company's just rolling with acquisitions at this point. And they're deciding to acquire things such as Fox Kids and Fox Family, which we later in turn turned into ABC Family. And then we changed it to Freeform, which was like, what, 2018, 2019? Something around there, yeah. Something I hated like it. That. Yeah, it made me it, so mad. Loki. It went downhill. <laughs> Not only did it go downhill, but there was something again. There's something magical about being called ABC Family, which that was kind of the point. Was like yes. it was a little bit more family oriented, and they changed it to Freeform to make it a little more mature. Yeah, I think they went from family to teen is what they were yeah. trying to do, but they didn't which... do a great job because people weren't prepared for that switch. Yeah, either that or maybe it did great. And, you know, because we were adults at that time. So maybe yeah. everyone else fell off and that was their goal. Um, but <sighs> but I ABC don't know, Family, man. I just think, you know, we had Pretty Little Liars and yeah. we had a lot of good shows on there. Oh, I remember like if you like late, late at night when there was nothing else to run, they would run like some, they would run like Life Size and just some old like mm-hmm. ABC slash decom shows and like i would see random movies that i hadn't ever seen and they would play it like two three in the morning yeah Um, or i feel like too it was a good way for disney stars to transition from kids show to more mature show because yeah raven had her show state of georgia after that's a raven and then emily osmond got young and hungry yeah so this was a good way for people to have an opportunity to move into more of an adult acting career yeah you're right and I and I think for us too it kind of was another thing that we followed right because while we were still kind of holding on to the nostalgia of like watching Disney Channel we were still kind of straddling between Disney Channel and ABC Family like shows with like Pretty Little Liars for example so Mm -hmm. um and then, okay (laughs) and so moving on so in 2004 history continues to repeat itself and Michael Eisner was voted out of his role as chairman um, by the board of shareholders. So at this point, Roy E. Disney's relationship with Eisner has gone downhill, um, which is interesting because he did bring him into the company originally. But it just seems like Roy is kind of running with this alpha dog type of lifestyle or type of, you know, management style. And he's kind of like, if you don't, if you're you're either with him or against him, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, in 2003, he asked for an extension on his role as a member of the board, which he was denied, um, Eisner. That's, uh, Disney. Uh, Disney. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So and in that's, 2003. That's wild because he is a Disney, like, correct. He is a founder's son and I'm normally against nepotism, but this is a family company that was based off the mind of Walt Disney. Right. And Roy E. Disney is that little pinch that's left in that 
Yeah. And and like I said, like maybe he's a little bit abrasive, but overall it seems like the things he was doing were, were pivoting the company in the right direction. I mean, before things did go downhill with Eisner, clearly the things that he was kind of backing with Eisner were going in a positive direction. So he's doing something right in a sense. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, and so once this ended up happening where he was no longer a board member, um, we're you know at this point it's 2003 so internet is like you know we're all up in that bitch <laughs> at this point um and we had a website created called savedisney.com <laughs> so it's basically like a <laughs> what like a slander page to out michael eisner's management styles that savedisney.com that was created um <laughs> and basically it's roy's little slander page to um outs michael eisner's management practices which is hilarious because like what are you a teenage girl like chill out <laughs> exactly like at first i was thinking like this is boomer behavior but at the same time so I, I feel like there is like every generation has these people and yeah I get it. He cares about his company, but it's kind of, I guess I don't know because I don't know the truth. I guess there's always three sides of the truth, but this is just wild to me. (laughs) It's, I think it's funny um, because in a way you're kind of, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because like he's carrying your family's legacy company and you're kind of talking mad shit about him. So that's a little wild. Um. But what's even funnier is while Eisner did lose his role on the board, he still remains a CEO. So basically, we've got Disney, who has really no kind of actual part in the company, just kind of sitting on the outside, um, just talking mad shit. Um, But it is, you know, based on, you know, Roy Disney, we kind of have an inside scoop as to what is actually happening, at least from his perspective, you know, and, you know. How good of a perspective is that? I don't know, but nobody really likes to be continuously publicly slandered. Right. So at this point, it ends up leading to Michael Eisner, you know, resigning or retiring from CEO um, September 30th, 2005, which blows, but like, can you blame him at that point? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So bob Iger is next um so after he steps in the role they open the 11th theme park and this is disneyland in hong kong so he's just right away just has to get the hang of it mm-hmm. um in 2006 disney starts working on acquiring pixar fully and at the time i didn't know this but it was owned by steve jobs oh i didn't know this either yeah, so fun fact there, he owned it. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely an adult and you know what it looks like this point on, but we're going to we're going to talk about it anyway. So, you know, <laughs> Disney's acquiring Marvel IP, Lucasfilm, 20th Century Studios, I and then, you know, it starts the live action remakes of the animated classics that Depends on who you ask. Depends Nobody on the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops, I said it. <laughs> so, you know, we all know what Barb, Bob, Barb, <laughs> Bob Iger's, you know, first shot at CEO looked like. Then we get Bob Chapek. And for some background, Chapek had been with the Walt Disney Company for over 18 years and he had previously served as the chairman of the parks. Bob Iger remained as chairman on the board during Shepek's reign as CEO, and he stayed through 2021 to help with the creative strategy. But as we all know, COVID-19 hit, and he ended up having to just help with keeping Disney afloat. Um, <laughs> you know, that was definitely a challenge because the parks had to close and that's a huge revenue maker for them so it's kind of all making sense here so so things are starting to make sense to me now he's he stayed to be involved in the creative strategy 
So this explains why we're getting all the Marvel and Star Wars stories that nobody's asking for. We've right. got little boys trapped in big men's <laughs> bodies in these big man roles. And they're making us watch all these Marvel and Star Wars movies that oh my God. they want. Not what your OG typical Disney fan will want. So just had that epiphany. Um, but with the pandemic, Disney announced that they would not be paying 100,000 of their employees. However, they would continue their benefits. Now, Amber, did you get benefits? No, I didn't get benefits. <laughs> so I wonder how many of this 100,000 employees were actually getting benefits anyway. I can't even imagine that very many were because there are so many loopholes in corporations that if you only work X amount of hours, they don't have to give you benefits. Thank so. you. So I wonder exactly how many people actually got helped by this, especially, you know, at this time, everyone's, you know, worried about paying rent. Right. <laughs> Not being, uh, I mean, yes, I was being worried about my benefits, but I'm more concerned about my rent so that I don't have to go to the hospital because at that point I am homeless. So exactly. <laughs> so within the second fiscal quarter of 2020 disney has gone down by 1.4 billion dollars yikes all companies suffered and had to shut down business right so this seems normal well in the third quarter it lost 4.7 billion and disney with a b with a b <laughs> and disney continued with layoffs laying off 4,000 more people and Disney also left, lost Touchstone Television with its ceasing operation in 2020. So this is all pretty bad. However, this is not the worst of Disney's downfall. Oh, God, of course, because why would it be, right? <laughs> yeah. So Disney's failure started to be more apparent when Florida legislator writes the best known as Don't Say Gay Bill, um, if you're not familiar with that, basically, it requires teachers to inform parents if their child indicates any sort of, you know, queerness, which can potentially put a child in danger. Disgusting behavior, in my opinion. I can't believe you would actually, like, make this a bill in your state to literally make children feel unsafe right. anywhere they go. Right. That. <laughs> disgusting yep <laughs> it goes without <laughs> even explaining like why it's wrong yeah. um well disney has always especially when we were there has always been a huge ally and a safe space for the lgbtq yeah. plus community however this time they stayed silent on this matter and disney is in florida mm -hmm. so this broke many people's hearts this had many employees feeling unsafe and questioning where Disney stands on this yeah. matter. And rightfully so, because like you said, I mean, even working there, I remember it being, you know, a very healthy mix of, you know, gay and straight people, especially even within our program. So mm -hmm. it's very disappointing to see that they stayed extremely silent. Um because we know what their opinions were. It's it's a very apparent. Yeah. So instead of rocking the boat, they stayed silent. And I'm I'm disappointed by that. Yeah. Uh, so it, oh go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say it really made me kind of pivot my opinions about Disney when when this was happening because I was I was disappointed. Cause like mm -hmm. you said, they were supposed to be an advocate for this community to be a controversial state. So that's where it kind of it was like really you want to keep throwing your hat in the ring of florida aren't you already on fire for a bunch of other things <laughs> like right so, yeah and I, I just you're endangering children at the end of the day exactly so that's, anywho that's... <laughs> moving <laughs> so, on again <laughs> bob shepek is removed and bob Iger's back in 2022 hmm. and here we are in 2023 um We've seen 7,000 people get laid off and then more. Mm -hmm. um, we're always talking about this. We were seeing increasing prices and every little thing that has Disney's name on it. We're being nickel and dimed, whether we go to the parks or we stay home. 
So I guess at this point, just stay tuned as the Disney history continues. But we've updated you from before 1928, its origin, to today. We sure did. And just to give a little bit of knowledge in, uh, so based on like revenue that they did for the 2022 year, Disney, so obviously Disney is a publicly traded company, as we know, um, and it was ranked as 53, number 53 on the Fortune 500 list as one of the biggest companies in the United States by revenue in 2022. That makes you wonder what the first 52 are. <laughs> yeah. God. I'm, I'm sure Amazon. Look that up. Oh, yeah. Amazon, Apple. Yeah. Microsoft, I'm sure. Yeah. The Usually those companies. are like the top threes. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so we, I... I broke it down, but we kind of already went through this, who our presidents and CEOs of the companies were. So I'm not going to read them off again by year, but I will just give a little tidbit for anyone who doesn't know, who's just a little bit confused between like, what's the difference between a president and a com and a CEO of a company? Because like, ultimately, it kind of feels like they should be the same person sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so presidents kind of focus more on the day-to-day -day operations and a CEO is managing kind of the overall direction of the company. Um, and I say like, both. I said both necessary and I feel provide key direction for who, what, when, where, and why a company does certain things. Um, and I was also curious just when I was doing research too, as to who was the CEO versus the president when the brothers started. And so we had Roy as the CEO, Roy O, Disney as the CEO, and Walt Disney was the president. Um, clearly, it really doesn't matter. It was just based on what they kind of wanted to focus on as far as the company goes. Um, and as we know, and we went through, um, Disney, the Disney family has not been involved with managing Disney since 2003, when Roy E. Disney was stepped down from the board, um, he ended up leading a shareholder revolt, um, which I couldn't find too much. Like I think that's the the SaveDisney.com. That's what I thought too. So I assume that, um, and he did since passed in 2009. Um, and we'll give a little bit of tidbit of information here, but we are going to expand on this later. Um, but we also have Abigail Disney versus the Walt Disney Company. Um, so basically, she's got a lot to say about uh, she she's actually publicly kind of shamed the company a few times about its extreme pay inequalities. And for anyone who doesn't know, Abigail E. Disney is the granddaughter of Walt Disney. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so well, we won't expand on this now. We're, that's just your little tidbit here. We will come back and we'll talk about this later. So. If you're curious about the, you know, the breakdown of Abigail versus Walt Disney, come back for next week's episode. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Two Finger Point. Connect with us on Instagram. Uh, what else? TikTok, whatever we're on. Facebook, <laughs> any social media, pretty much. <laughs> we're Two Finger Point Podcast. And we will catch you next week. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Two Finger Point, hosted by Amber Omar and Kylie Salmon. Created by Amber Omar and Kylie Salmon. Produced by Amber Omar. Engineered by Kylie Salmon. Social media managed by Kylie Salmon. Content created by Amber Omar and Kylie Salmon. Stay connected with us by following us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or YouTube at Two Finger Point Podcast with the number two spelled out, T-W-O. You can also contact us by visiting our website at twofingerpointpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to have new episodes automatically downloaded to your device or to get alerts of our new episodes on YouTube. We greatly appreciate you rating and reviewing our podcast as well. You could be selected to have your review read on the podcast, like this review here from our friend Zoe, My Disney Podcast Fix. Amber and Kylie have put together the perfect podcast about all things Disney. Love to hear their banter, their opinions, their recommendations, and I love following along with their quiz at the end of each episode. You know it's a good podcast when you find yourself chiming in. Listening to them every week has me feeling connected to the parks even when I'm far away. Thanks, ladies. Thanks to you too, Zoe. We will catch you next Tuesday for our next episode. But until then, have a magical day.